A dance CEO thrives every day with focus on gratitude, growth, and feeling aligned. Unapologetically putting themselves first, striving to become their best self personally and professionally, creating their own definition of fulfillment and success, rejecting the starving artist mentality and competition mindset for one of abundance in all things, including the success of other dance business owners. Welcome to the Dance CEO Podcast. Hello, I'm Audra Allen, the Dance CEO Coach lifelong dancer, choreographer, and educator. I'm a happily remarried, part-time mom of two little humans and three bonus little humans, proud thriver of adult-diagnosed ADHD, lover of the beach, travel, houseplants, reading, and your host for today's episode. Thank you for being here. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm so excited to have our guest with us today and share with you. This is Lissa Wopat. She is a sports and performance psychology consultant. She and I have connected before discussing business and whatnot, and absolutely love what she's done with being a performer, professional dancer, being a former professional dancer, and coming in and figuring out what aligns for her to support the dance world and other areas, which we'll dive more into later. Welcome, Lissa. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I'm just excited to have you. We have definitely not had this topic of conversation on the podcast yet. Awesome. And I've just really enjoyed following you, just being a consumer of your content and knowledge you share, because there's been some things I've been learning as a mindset expert myself from you. So if anyone else is like has been learning more about mindset on this journey with me, today you're going to get some more nuggets. It's going to be great. Well, thank so, you. I feel very similarly following you, too. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> um, Lissa, go ahead and just tell us a little bit more about you. Let's just, let's just, who's Lissa? <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess I'll start back towards the beginning. And I always start, <laughs> it's funny because I always start with my dance story, which is only part of who I am, but it feels like a big part even still, even though I'm not dancing professionally. But um, I started dancing when I was about eight and I was only doing tap and jazz and then I saw my sister who was dancing in another studio, a separate studio for me. And she was doing ballet and tap and jazz and doing all these cool productions on like a real big stage with like a real audience. I was like, oh my gosh, I need to do that. And so I ended up switching studios to where she was and doing what she was doing. And, you know, later on down the line towards my high school years, I was trying to figure out whether I was going to go to college for dance or not for dance, but definitely going to college. And I ended up deciding to go to school for dance. And um, after that, danced professionally for a few years. And then all the COVID things began. And then I got my master's degree, decided to retire from dancing professionally, got my degree in sport and performance psychology. And now I'm here as a dancer, performance psychology consultant. I still teach ballet um, and, and so many more other little hobbies here and there. Oh my gosh, thanks for sharing that. Okay, um, not at all relevant, but why were you and your sister at different dance studios to begin with? Um, it was mostly because of what I wanted to do. Um, so we both saw uh, my uncle was on Broadway doing 42nd Street, and there's a ton of tap dance in that. Right, I love that and show. So, right, yeah, and I really wanted to do jazz. She kind of wanted to do tap, and so I don't really... You'd have to ask my mom. I probably should ask my mom. We ended up at different places based on kind of what we wanted to focus on, which is not at all what we ended up doing. doing. But as like <laughs> a you know eight, nine, ten year old, um, we just sort of followed those two different paths and ended up following similar paths in some way. But um, ended up yeah, did start in different places. <laughs> um, I'm actually really glad I asked because I was just curious, but then just like, you got to watch your uncle perform on 42nd Street on Broadway, which is really cool. Oh, thank and then you. the fact that you have a mom who understood that there was going to be, there's different ways to make that work versus like, oh, I'm sorry, you're going to both have to just go to one studio for convenience. Like that's totally. cool too. Totally. But like, I mean, audience, if you don't know this already, literally we come into this with like a few topics suggested, but like it's completely open. And so all of this is just on a whim. So <laughs> I'm learning things as long as you are fellow listeners. Um, that's awesome that you have family members who, multiple family members who have been in the professional performing arts world. So. Yeah, my, my dad is also a musician. Um, and so I think he, both my parents kind of understood following that passion in some ways, um, even into professional careers, which I know for some parents is a hard thing to 
know, as far as lucrative businesses go, um, sometimes people have a hard time letting their kids try those things. So I'm definitely grateful uh, for both my parents and, you know, helping us and supporting us and what we wanted to do then and now. Mm, yeah, it's so good. I, uh, my, mine is similar. My parents, both are musicians. And they always said to all of us, there's six kids in my family that we love all of you. Whatever you decide to do after high school is amazing. We're not financially supporting it. <laughs> That's on you. And, but we'll, well, whatever you want to do, we, we have your back. And so it was never like, oh no, you can't do that. You can't do that. They're like, okay, how are you going to make it happen? So right. I love awesome. that. Yeah. I love that. I love it when your parents understand, you know, that we have our own individual beings and we decide to do our own things and want to help us yes. succeed. Okay. Yes. Um, I might be feeling a little sentimental because my kids are with their dad for two weeks and so I'm missing them a little oh, bit. <laughs> it's okay. I'm like, why am I feeling all of my feels about being parents? I'm like, got it. Okay. Um, totally understand. <laughs> so let's answer the question that some listeners might be asking, which is what exactly is a sport and performance psychology consultant? Yes. So basically through psychological skills training, I help my clients to cultivate uh, the psychological skills or mental skills that they need to excel in their chosen field um, to kind of unlock their potential. And you know, really it's about building and fostering a mindset that they need to thrive in their chosen craft, whatever that might be. Um, I guess to me, the big thing that sport and performance psychology recognizes is that performing your best feeling your best, enjoying your best and whatever it is that you're doing, um, performing at your peak. It's not really just about honing your physical skills. It's also about um, harnessing the power of your mind to help you, you know, do your best, reach your best physically, um, no matter what it is that you're doing. Um, and that, that works for athletes. That's for performing artists, business professionals, um, military even. There's so many different domains that the sport and performance psychology principles and strategies and all of that um, really help and and um, almost like up level in a way, uh, both the actual output that you you give out and also, you know, enjoying giving that output, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is really interesting. I know when you and I first connected, um, I was like, how is it different than mindset? And it's similar. I mean, it's very, very parallel, but also the sports behind, like there's just, of course, more scientific approach, I feel mm -hmm. like with it, which is really cool. Um, what got you into this? Huh. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I really, in, in college, most of my classes were dance-related classes. Um, but we did have academics. We had a couple academics a day, some in the morning and some in the afternoon. And one of the classes I took was developmental psychology, which I just, even inside class, like structured class and outside, I've always found psychology really interesting and just how our brains work and what makes us choose to do certain things. Um, and so when I kind of made the decision that I was gonna stop dancing professionally and move into something else, I was looking and looking and looking and trying to find something that kind of spoke to me in some way, because it was a pretty major decision for me to move out of dancing professionally, since that was kind of what I was working towards for so much of my life. Um, and then I stumbled upon sport and performance psychology, which kind of combined these two things that I loved, um, you know, sport, physical activity, dancing, of course. And psychology, the mind, you know, side of things, um, and combining those two things felt kind of right to me, and so that's why I decided to pursue the master's degree in sport and performance psychology. That's sort of, I guess, what brought me here um, and to starting my own business in this world. That just had me thinking about my own college journey and how I never planned on going to college. I just planned on dancing professionally. And I ended up going to college three years after high school, after dancing professionally for a period of time. And I went to college for dance, but, and I teach at university now part-time. And uh, I love that you just reiterated, reiterated the concept that if you're open to it and you give college a chance, 
that you don't have to necessarily finish with what you went in for, but you'll get, you're exposed to so many different topics in such a, you know, like focused way that you have a chance to actually figure out what you're really interested in. And if you want to minor mm -hmm. in something and support your major or whatever that is, and you can't really get that anywhere else. And so I love that you did do exactly that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, you know, it brings up another thing that's, I guess it is a sport and performance psychology principle, but this idea, especially with dancers and athletes, I've found in research shows that we, a lot of us have some level of what we call athletic identity, which is for dancers, you know, you identify as a dancer, you know, someone you like walk in somewhere with your friend and your friend introduces you and they say, oh, Alyssa dances or she's a dancer. Right. And so um, I think growing up with that, you know, you kind of develop this piece of you that feels like so much of what you are uh, to yourself and often to other people. Um, and sometimes we have to give ourselves the permission to break that mold that we've either created for ourselves that we feel others have created for us to, um, you know, explore other things and let yourself not necessarily give up on dancing, um, but explore other pathways either while you're dancing or if you've decided maybe I need to step away and do something new, giving yourself the permission to do whatever that is and to know that that decision doesn't have to be the end all be all. You can always change your mind. Yeah. There's, there's so much, there's so much in here. I'm like, oh my gosh, we only have one episode, Audra. I can always bring her back. We could talk about this another time. I would be time. happy to. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to dive a little bit more specifically into your area of expertise to help continue to expand on that. And then I do want to go more into the business side of things because that's always such a such a mystery to people in the dance world is how businesses are created that's not a studio setting or something. Totally, totally. So we've talked more about what is sport and performance psychology and what, like who benefits from working with a sport and performance consultant? Yeah, so I think, I, I almost dare to say that anyone could benefit from it in some ways. Um, but I think one of the biggest or most common misconceptions um, is that performance psychology support is only for people who are struggling or having, you know, issues with something. And, you know, while performance psychology support does definitely help dancers and others address challenges or concerns or issues, um, its scope extends far beyond troubleshooting. Um, it can also empower dancers to reach their highest potential, to up-level their dancing, to sustain high-level performance, which is incredibly difficult, um, to reach new levels of achievement or enjoyment even, um, to thrive in their artistic expression. So much more. There's so many different things and different types of people that can benefit from it. Um, and it's not just those who are, you know, or view themselves as struggling or having, you know, a really tough time with something. Um, it's also for those who feel like they're doing pretty well and just want to bump something up a little bit. Yeah, this sounds like it's the difference between being proactive about something versus reactive, right? Which is you know, going yes. into the dance class, you know, learning how to do a step properly before you just go attempt it. It's going to have you have more success when you do it versus you're just fumbling through it and then you have to go back and retrain yourself to do the thing. That's what exactly. I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And you can, you know, retroactively right. unwire your brain and rewire it to, you know, think in a different way. Um, but a lot of the time, if we can get ahead of things, um, we tend to just develop healthier habits uh, first instead of having to break down old ones, build new ones. Mm -hmm. um, and then sustain the new ones too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We are, we are speaking the same language. You just went and got a degree <laughs> for it specifically. And I have all my life experience that got me to this point, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, I get it. Don't worry. Yeah. I'm not saying you don't have life experience. Um, so what would, would you take us through what a session with you would look like? I know that's generalized because everyone's different, but would you like take us through like what, what a typical session would look like? Yeah. So, um, I guess there's a couple of different ways I could talk about this and I might not to change the question a little bit, but I might change it in a way that will make more sense. Please. I think to, um, to just for the, the structure that I usually use. Yeah. 
Um, so usually when I first meet with a client, I'll make sure that we're a good fit and that they can decide that as well, because sometimes every once in a while you just don't mesh with the person or you're, you know, something's just not quite right. Or if I'm not the right provider for this person, then I would refer them out. So that's number one. Um, number two, once we've decided like we're actually going to work together and, and continue with sessions, um, we want, really want to gain like a very deep understanding of this person's goals and what they need and what they want um, from sessions and as well as what might be holding them back in their performance, um, whether it's enjoyment based or skill based or, you know, anything like mindset based or so performance anxiety or uh lack of confidence, fear of failure, any of those kinds of things. Um, so once we've identified- Sorry, I want to interject. I mean, like all the things okay. that dancers typically experience. Yeah. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> to some degree, I would say it's it's hard to get by without having something along those lines, right? <laughs> yes. So once we identify those areas and, you know, what, what we really want to get out of this, ideally, um, then we will kind of look at what psychological skills would be most likely to benefit that client. So these are things like goal setting, visualization, self-talk, attentional control, stress management techniques, all of these kinds of things. And then we go through and you know guide our clients through a structured learning process where they can learn and implement the skills in an effective and practical way, which is super, super important because a lot of times we get, we get these skills, we learn them, and then if they're not built in to the schedule or the training or the rehearsals or whatever it is in an effective and practical way, we often find that they don't follow through with them, right? So we have to make sure that it works with the person's schedule. We'll build it in in specific parts of their day so that we know, you know, I go take my lunch break and I do 10 minutes of a mindfulness-based meditation or, you know, whatever that looks like. It's built in. It's now like a part of their day, or maybe it's in a class or rehearsal setting um, and they have to implement a certain skill whenever something comes up in their mind or a certain, you know, self-talk phrase they start to say to themselves and we have to correct it, those kinds of things. Um, so yeah, those are kind of the steps. Identify what we want to get out of this, identify the skills we want to use, and then learn and implement them in an effective and practical way. Uh, how long is the time frame of like typically working with a client to see that sustainable change you're seeking with them? It does kind of depend on the client's needs and wants. Um, I do offer different amounts of sessions. Um, and oftentimes we start with a specific amount of sessions. And then at the end of that, we say, okay, like we're not done yet. We want to keep going. Nope, um, and that's familiar. of course, <laughs> yeah, right. It's of course up to them. Um, of course, I'll give my own recommendations of what I'm seeing or feeling from work together, but it's always up to them in the end if they want to continue. I've usually seen the most effective change in five plus sessions, um, which gives us time to like really get into the nitty gritty of, you know, why they're here in the first place, why they're coming to me, I mean, in the first place and really start to develop those skills and then see how it's going and, you know, what new challenges are popping up because of these things and all of this kind of stuff. So in general, and you know, I haven't taken notes on how many sessions exactly, but I would say five plus would be um, where I tend to see the most effective changes. Yeah, that's interesting. I was just thinking about my own journey with my clients and what that looks like. And I found that um, minimum like eight, eight sessions or so is really like starting to be the like the sustainable transitional point. Mm -hmm. uh, I know it's like not uncommon for coaching programs to want to have clients come through the doors in like three months and be out kind of thing, you know, just like a higher turnaround partially for payment benefits mm -hmm. for them profitability. But like you were saying too, is like the sustainable changes take longer because you're unwiring and rewiring things. Right. And, uh, I was actually learning and this model I follow now is called like the success timeline of what really, how long things really tend to take in order to have that sustainable shift. And uh, I'll just share it now because I brought it up. So totally. So, and like in, on average, the concept is that each one of these steps takes about a month. And of course that can you know, be tweaked, but so the mm -hmm. general concept is about a month for each thing. So the first one is education. Whatever the thing is, you're just learning about the thing first. 
And then the second step is the internal awareness. So you're self-aware as well as doing the internal work. So that's like mm -hmm. another month of starting to apply the education. And mm -hmm. the third one is when you start to externally apply it around you. And then the fourth one is when the people around you start to see the benefit of the uh -huh. work you've been doing. It's like, so the fourth month is when you start to see the external, but people start to see the shifts. And then it's the fifth month or so is when they start to respond and things start to change from that. Whether that, if it's a business thing, you start to get more clients, it's a relationship shift. There's a performance out like that's like, it's about the fifth month is when sustainable outcomes actually show up. Do you mm -hmm. like, what would you like, what's your about what are your thoughts with that? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I do think it makes a lot of sense. And one thing um, I think a lot of dancers, especially in their later years, start to notice is that the way that they feel, um, you know, what the thoughts they're having affect the way that they're feeling and then also affect the way they're able to perform. And that scene by this external world that you're talking about in the last, I think it was the last step. Fourth, yeah, fourth, fourth is when fourth. they start to see it. Okay. The fourth step. Yes. Um, and so I, I do definitely think this is interesting what you're talking about, because I think so much, um, we focus on wanting to change other people's perceptions of us. And that really starts oftentimes within yourself to some mm -hmm. degree, you know, you're not going to change people. If someone's a certain way, it might just be part of who they are. And that's outside of our control. We need to let that go. Um, but if we're looking for, you know, I want them to see my confidence or like that I'm more confident, oftentimes that starts internally within you and your own mind and your own thoughts and how that kind of goes through how you feel and therefore how you perform and how you present yourself. Um, I'm talking with dancers specifically, but right, really, yeah. I, I dare say most people, mm -hmm. um, no matter what, what, you know, field of work you're in, um, oftentimes these things start really inside understanding them, which is the educational aspect, and then start slowly going through the change process until it ends up being something that someone else externally could observe. Yeah. Well, it's very validating. Are you tired of feeling like you're the only one on this dance business owner journey who really gets the challenges you face on a daily basis? Are you tired of feeling like it's everyone for themselves? Are you tired of trying to find support but no one really gets the unique culture and community of the dance world? I totally and completely understand every one of these isolating experiences. I have lived them myself and ironically, I have connected with and met many other dance business owners who feel exactly the same way you do. You are not alone. Now you may be asking, well, how do we change this? How do we go about building a community of inclusive dance business owners, leaders, and entrepreneurs instead of an exclusive one? The answer is the Dance CEO Society. This inclusive community will be the people you turn to for support, understanding, and even growth. The Dance CEO Society is where you know that each member understands the nuanced challenges you're experiencing because of being in the dance world. In the Dance CEO Society, you will no longer feel alone, isolated, or unsupported. You will finally be with like-minded peers and colleagues who also believe that it's about community and not competing, and that there is room for all of us. The doors to this inclusive dance CEO society will be opening soon. To make sure you are one of the first to hear about it and to get early access, make sure to join the waitlist. You can find the link in the show notes, or you can visit www.thedancecoach.com forward slash society. We can't wait to have you. I th well, I find it when I first came across the success timeline and kind of tweaked it, stuff that made sense for me and like what mm -hmm. I was experiencing is like, it applies to everything, right? And I was speaking to dancers, but like I'm currently, I, uh, Lisa and I were talking about before we hit record that we both are working with fitness coaches and um, like I'm at the beginning of my journey and I'm a minimum, I have a minimum contract with them for six months, but I'm probably going to extend it because I recognize on that timeline I'm speaking is that it's going to take some time before even I see the shifts before anyone else. And not that I'm like, my, my, my goals are not for anyone else's benefit, right? But before anyone else sees it and then whatever the benefits on the road of my being healthier and whatnot. So right. yeah, quick, quick turn, quick efforts are only superficial and do not create long-term change. And to mm -hmm. me, what I've learned over the past few years of personal development and mindset work and all of that is that my happiness and my thriving is from the sustainable shifts, not from mm -hmm. quick fixes. Cause those are just mm -hmm. temporary. Don't get to the core of things. 
Yeah, definitely. And I do think, um, you know, I've seen, especially when during my master's degree classes and watching videos of other practitioners who are, are in the sport and performance psychology world, there are ways, you know, they do the quick fix thing for the athlete that comes to them and like, oh my God, I'm going into this game and I need help, like that kind of thing. Just like, okay, try this. And then you go do your thing when there's not the time to sit down. But I definitely find that the long-term um, changes do come with time, which often is frustrating, I think, especially in this day and age when you get your answer in five seconds and I'm guilty of it all the time. Oh yeah. Um, having Same. conversations with people, I'm like, oh, I'll just Google it. <laughs> just look mm -hmm. it up really fast. Um, and sometimes those quick fixes or um, you know, quick advice can be helpful for whatever it is that you're using it for. I'm definitely not saying that it's, you know, not worth your time necessarily, right, exactly. but um, long-term changes, I would say definitely come with time and to let that be okay, uh, that it's going to take some time and it's going to be up and down. Um, the path isn't straight necessarily. There's some wandering along the way. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And that has me thinking now of my understanding of the difference between consulting and coaching which is to me, when I consult somebody, it's like a one-off session and they're mm -hmm. coming in here with very specific things that they want, you know, to be advised on and then mm -hmm. they go apply it versus mm -hmm. coaching is when the guidance is there for them to help learn and to do the self-realization work and then helping them for themselves to discover that to then do the, the transformational work long-term. Mm -hmm. And so both have, both have merit based on what's happening. But when I have someone coming to me for consulting support, like I, I can't expect, and hopefully they don't expect that the whole entire business structure is going to be changed because of like two things we addressed versus right. like, if they want that full, that full shift, like then we have a discussion and say, well, we need to transfer into coaching and join a program that there's a structure to it. And yeah. So. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And in terms of title, like the mental performance coach or Sport and performance psychology mm. consultant. There's so many different, mm -hmm. I mean, you can go to like so many different people's pages who have the same training and education as me and they call themselves something else. Yep. Um, the only thing we're careful about, or I'm careful about, I shouldn't speak for others, is not calling myself a psychologist. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not a psychologist. I don't have a doctorate degree. Um, but that's why I go with consultant because I want to be clear. But mental performance coach is a very, very similar terminology. Yeah means the same thing. And I definitely, I hear what you're saying about the difference to you between coaching and consulting like yeah. quick fix versus long-term. Yeah. And like I'm in my, in my area of expertise and like also, yeah, just what resonates with me, but also like you said, like other people can use the term consultant and they're just doing coaching. Like, I mean, yeah, it's just whatever self applies. So I love that you give that clarity. Some people are like, but wait, I went and saw somebody, but they titled themselves this. What does that mean? And like, it can actually mean either just talk to them and figure out really what right. it is. And yes. I just, I had to get clear for myself after I was like, wait, what am I? What, what do I do? And I had to figure out for me what right. those boundaries were to define. Yes, yeah. definitely. And that brings up another good point. I think, um, for anyone that's even entertaining the idea of seeking some kind of support is to not be afraid to ask that person any questions that you have about what they do or their credentials or their training or what their program looks like or any of these kinds of things. Um, cause most of these people just want to help and serve you and they want you to find the person who, um, will best help them. So, um, you know, don't be afraid to ask those questions, um, write them down, have a nice long list. I'm happy to sit here and answer anyone's questions. <laughs> Whenever I, <laughs> that says me thinking about me having to go on the journey of learning what a healthy relationship is mm. romantically or otherwise, this is based mm -hmm. on past experiences I've had. I like to equate so many of my things in life now to like, is this a healthy relationship? Now, granted, mm. I probably wouldn't go into a first date with a long list of things, but the general right. concept is the same, is that you're going into a working relationship with that person and you both need to be okay with it for mm -hmm. spending months together. So like you said, mm -hmm. like you don't just go in and like have them tell you what to do. That's not, that's not a healthy relationship and you're don't want to be dictated to. It needs to go both ways to where you're like, I want to be vulnerable with this person. I trust right. them. They have my best interest at heart. 
I can tell that we we get along when we talk to each other and like I don't mind versus like it's very uncomfortable and forced and awkward and like just think about any type of interaction if you have to take it to the dating side right like you don't want to spend five months with somebody when it's super uncomfortable and you're not comfortable like there's no trust and all of that yeah it's the same yes despite the long list of things that is a good tip <laughs> not including <laughs> that in the dating process <laughs> like totally. it's just, yeah you, you're essentially air quotes dating around for the right fit I don't work with everybody that comes to me sometimes it's because sure they think I'm not a good fit. Sometimes I don't think they're a good fit, like you said, and I prefer them to someone else I think might be a better fit. Mm-hmm. I really love that tip that you gave. That's so good. Cause I don't, we just don't ever talk about that. And this is all stuff that I have yeah. to learn and for myself, both working with coaches and then right. becoming one like, Oh wait, it's yes. okay. but then that does go into a mindset thing here, which see if we go on this journey is, yeah. Um, so I know that dancers tend to be people pleasers because of the fear of rejection and like our whole value from growing up has been based on acceptance into doing something well or not. It's an all or nothing situation. And so the more you can people please, the better, like, you know, just there's so, there's so many things, right? Mm-hmm. And so being able to get to the point where you as an individual who's seeking support to value and know yourself well enough, you don't have to be perfect, right? You're seeking support. So that you can be okay with saying, actually, I appreciate you accepting me, but it's going to be a no versus like they accept you and you're like, oh, I don't want to disappoint them. I'm really grateful that they even did this. Like, oh my gosh, they give that like, you know, like I I don't feel worthy. Like, okay, I'm going to, and then you just, you say yes, because you feel guilty doing otherwise. So you don't understand Mm -hmm. like that's just an indicator that you need more support. (laughs) Like you definitely need to go that route, but trust your instinct. And it does take time to shift that mindset going from people pleasing into is this, if you're already in the path to seek support, to then take it the next level, make sure it's the right support. Totally. I 100% agree. Yes. And I also think as a, you know, provider or practitioner or coach or consultant or whoever you are, and I, I try to do this myself, is I'm, I feel responsible for getting you to the person or partially responsible for mm-hmm. getting you to the person who would best support you rather than just being like, oh, like new client, like I just got to snag it, even if like mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm the best but, you know, we always, I, I'm always as focused as I can be on making sure I am, I feel like I am the right provider for you. And then you get to make your own decision. No pressure whatsoever yeah. on whether you feel I'm the right provider. Yeah. And that was a definitely a big ego journey for me too, because I, I was in a place of fear and just like, you know, I was like client equate, equates to money in my bank account mm-hmm. versus the core of what I do is to serve others. And the best way to do that is to make sure that it's done without the concern of the bank account attached to it, because totally we all know that we can, you know, we can tell when we trust somebody or we don't. Right. So when mm-hmm. we, and we all know what it's like to get those cold, nasty DMS for someone who's just trying to push something on us versus like they, they put the front that they're trying to like get to know us, but really they're just trying to sell us something. Right. I mean, I'm so guilty of this in my learning journey. And like, I mean, that's been, a, I mean, I, I'm not coming out of saint on this. I'm speaking from personal <laughs> experience, but absolutely when i'm able to remove my ego from the process when i meet with potential clients sometimes Mm -hmm. i recognize from my unprofessional experience that what they need is a therapist and that is not me and i'm like i can help you apply what you've learned from your therapy to figure out how to integrate Mm -hmm. into your personal and professional life but Mm -hmm. what you need is a licensed psychologist who can help you deal with past trauma and other things and then together we can help you figure out moving forward what that looks like yeah sometimes i have clients work with me simultaneously while they're working with the therapist and then take what they come up with and how to apply it day to day right but yeah it also That's, takes, yeah, the provider side, the ego, right? You have to like check that. Absolutely. And it's very similar um, in the performance psychology world, um, especially if you're not a like a psychologist. Um, some people are duly uh, trained. I'm not yet, but it's an important thing um, to recognize or at least have enough training to recognize when there might be something, you know, we say bigger going on where you say, okay, like maybe we maybe I should refer this person to a, a therapist, a counselor, a clinical psychologist, someone along those lines who can help them through those concerns or that side of things. Um, and then if that person's interested, like you mentioned, I can work alongside and still, you know, let's say it's performance anxiety this person's experiencing as a dancer you know, prior to performing. I'm just making something up. I can help with that while you get some of the bigger picture help maybe from some a different provider who can give you the care that 
it might seem like from my end that you might. So we paused for a minute because the, the my apartment complex maintenance is doing stuff, but we decided to just embrace because they're not going away and we could be here forever waiting for them. So if you hear yard work happening, it's the first world, ex first world experiences. I'm sitting here doing a podcast interview while someone else is doing yard work for me. So I'm just going to embrace <laughs> it. So there it is. So if you hear that in the background, that's what it is. So I was telling Lissa that I want to bring up even more about being super aware about the type of person you're working with and why, because we just discussed, you know, working with therapists and I want to, my awareness of this is, you know, therapists help you uncover and work through trauma. And so many times, I didn't know about this at first, when I first became a coach and I've been doing a lot of education and training on this is there's trauma informed coaching and because it's so easy if someone doesn't have the skill set, and I'll equate this to dance in a minute, that um, they can take you down a journey to where it opens up therapy, like trauma-based situations, but they don't know how to take you out of that safely because they're not trained to do so. And as a result, it actually makes it, leaves you in a worse place than you started, which is why you should be with a psychologist when you need to do that kind of thing. So like I now learn, because I do have, we're in the dance world, people come with trauma all the time. And now mm -hmm. I, I am skilled in understanding what those boundaries are, what it starts to look like, if it starts to go the way, how to curb that so we don't go down that journey. Or if it's a little bit, how to guide safely, but not full in, because like it's not my expertise and I nor do I want that. Mm -hmm. So as someone, anyone listening in the performing arts world, right, just know that most likely you have that in you, <laughs> some trauma that's going to come up. And so being so aware of who you're working with and you can even ask them like, what do you know about trauma-informed coaching or consulting? Because if they don't know what you're talking about or you're, you know, don't believe them when they give an answer, like trust mm -hmm. that because it can hurt you, it can cause more damage than not. Yeah. How that translates to dancing you can go to someone who claims that they've been a dance teacher for so many years and you go take their air quotes advanced ballet class and it's clear that they don't know what they're doing and they're not able to recognize what your strengths and weaknesses are and they're asking you or telling you to do things that could physically harm you because they don't have the experience to know how to safely take you through an advanced situation in dance class or dance technique combination or something they don't have the technique behind it they just want to tell you to do something and they don't know how to apply that to you safely same thing you can get physically injured and then mentally right like you can have like scarring right. emotional scarring from that same thing with the emotional mental side Are you like me who absolutely loves to continue to grow and learn? And sometimes you can't do that because of financial reasons, location restrictions, time, lack of energy, all of it. Every other month, I bring to you a topic completely free of charge that will help you grow both personally and professionally and continue to see you on your way while maybe not always being able to attend those bigger financially committing things that you want to. This is exactly why I created the Dance CEO Masterclass series. The next masterclass we have coming up is Thursday, March 14th at 2 p.m. Central, 3 p.m. Eastern. The topic is achieving instant success with the good, better, best method. If you are looking to remove the all or nothing thinking, this masterclass is for you. This method is the game changer to shift into a place of allowing yourself to be human first, make mistakes, and still feel successful. I use it all the time and I teach each of my clients to use it as well. So if you're ready to do some personal professional development at no cost to you other than showing up and committing to yourself, please join Join us for March's Dance CEO Masterclass Series on Thursday, March 14th, 2 p.m. Central, 3 p.m. Eastern. You can find the link in the show notes or you can visit www.thedanceceocoach.com forward slash masterclass. I definitely think it's important to have the, as, as a provider, to have the training to recognize sort of where the line is and it can be very blurry. And I think a lot of people that are in professions or fields that are like helping professions or helping fields. Service-based. Right. It's so hard to not want to like, I, like, I want to help you. I want like, you know, I want to guide you through this, but I, I have to remember this isn't, I, if I try to do this, whether or not I'm like trying to help you, I could do more harm than good. Mm -hmm. And so to remember where the lines are, of yes, I can safely help you through fill in the blank versus, okay, like here's a boundary I, I'm coming up against for my own ethical practice. And I need to help you find the help that you need mm -hmm. um, and or work alongside someone who can give you that help. 
So yeah. yes, I definitely important. We are listening to you, um, clients out there mm-hmm. uh, and, and trying to hear you out and, and get you what you need. Yeah. And, um, uh, like on the other side, you both, you know, we both said that like, sometimes it's not a good fit. Like we, we don't feel that the client's a good fit. Mm. I mean, in, in all honesty, it's just like dating, right? You're like, do I really want to spend the next four months bi-weekly or weekly spending an hour of my life with this person? And if I'm finally <laughs> like, you know, and like, it's not all the time. Right. But it is true. Like sometimes I'm like, no, like I know that there are challenges I can support them, but our just interaction I'm finding for whatever reason, rubbing me the wrong way. Like mm. I don't want to resent working with them because that's also going to just cause harm. This is not doing sure. the best service for them or my respecting myself either. So right. it goes both ways. It's not like, Absolutely. <laughs> like, I love that you're so interested in me and I'm so flattered, but the feeling's not mutual. And so I'm right. going to suggest my friend over here who I think would be a better fit for you. Like, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and I want to also be clear that I'm not saying this because like, I think that when I've heard other people say this before, I'm thinking, oh, well, they can, they have the luxury of turning down people because they have mm. all the clients. And I'll be honest, like my bank account is not reflecting that I have, like, I can just easily turn down clients. So if I did it based on financial needs, I'm saying yes to everybody. But at the end of the sure. day, and then and then saying yes to people who's going to take up space and time and energy for someone else who would have been a better yes for me maybe oh, two weeks later and all of mm-hmm. a sudden for four months i can't work with that person because i said yes to somebody who i was just saying yes to out of desperation right so just being mindful of that too so yeah yes and i think you know as far as burnout goes whether mm-hmm. you're looking at it from a dance perspective or even just like a professional business perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, not that everything's going to cause you great joy necessarily, but <laughs> yeah. the things that, you know, are, are un- not joyful or you don't, you know, appreciate doing to some capacity or see, you know, the reasons for doing it or, you know, whatever. There's so many, there's so many pieces of this I could talk mm-hmm. about for now for like an entire <laughs> hour. Um, but I, it, I think it's important to kind of recognize what you feel is serving you, what you feel is not serving you, weigh the pros and cons if you need to, figure out like, do I need to add this extra gym day? Hmm, like maybe that's not actually helping me, maybe it's hurting me. Do I need to take on this client when I feel like it's not gonna put me in a good headspace and then I won't be able to serve them? Maybe that's not a good idea, you know? And that's not from a performance psychology perspective, that's just my own personal opinion. Yeah, I'm totally um, there with you, yeah. Um, I think let's just keep going on this topic because like, this isn't something people talk about very often. And I think this is a very crucial topic because now I want to take it from the standpoint of those who are looking to go more into the service-based business, mm-hmm. you know, cause I mean, there's, that's happening so commonly now in the dance world for anyone like, oh, just, oh, I can start my own dance business. Like we did that, but I, but full transparency, it was not, I didn't come out of the gate with full understanding. I come out of the gate with so many Googling. <laughs> Googling right, right. questions. And I started my business teaching dance lessons online live for a year and a half mm-hmm. before I pivoted into business coaching. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why that pivot happened was because other people were recognized I had more experience than them and they were seeking that. And I found mm. that it was something I enjoyed doing, but I wasn't necessarily trained. So sure. I did have to go the route of then hiring a business coach to learn a lot of things. And I've then taken myself through the necessary steps of other coaching programs and education mm-hmm. and certifications to be where I am today to then be properly educated, qualified to then do what I do. But so many people don't do that. And I think we confuse a lot of tendencies we have, especially in the dance world, like when we're very passionate, you know, emotionally driven people, when you can confuse that with, like you said, ethical practice. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm guilty of this again, like there was a lot of learning curve I'm going in, which is why I'm here now helping others not have to do such a steep learning curve and help them get through it faster. But I'm sure like you've had some type of similar experiences, maybe, I'm not sure, I don't wanna assume that, but maybe you've had some similar experiences. Yeah, I mean, and I do think, especially in the world of social media, where there's so Mm. much information and such a quick ability to share, um, you know, thoughts on a whim, that there are a lot of people who are, I think, I hope, trying to help people with what they're sharing and what they're saying, even if they don't have the training or the education, mm-hmm. the certifications. And I don't think, you know, you talk to this person, I don't think they're trying to do anything wrong. They're sharing their own experiences, what helped them, what might mm-hmm. help you because it helped them, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, unknowingly, I suppose it's unethical to do so, but is it unethical if you don't even know, like there's that, it's a weird 
balance. Um, so I, you know, you see, at least I see a lot, especially on social media, people sharing, um, tips or tricks or, you know, strategies to work through fill in the blank. Um, and you see it and you go, Oh, like, okay, like this person's trying to help people and I'm not going to call them out necessarily, but you also know there's this other side of it where if you're, if you're going to do it like all the way, then I know, like I'm supposed to have this training, but I only know that because I went through the training. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, I mean, full, I, I'm not like, I'm not certified or have the degree like you do. Like I, I am doing it based on lots of experience and I've gone mm-hmm. through lots of trainings, but I don't have like, so there's lots of different ways to get that information. Sure. Now, the, es- the ethical thing to me then is if it's somebody who didn't know and then they know, but they don't change their process because like, oh, I already said this, I'm going to stick to it. That's when there's a big issue, right? It's like if I said, oh, well, I actually learned that this is technically what I'm supposed to be doing, but because I've already been shown face this way, I don't want to like let my, I'm gonna have my ego right. get in the way and I'm going to cause yes. harm now. Do you have any examples of like what comes to mind? What, what could be some things that people could ask to check in as they're like maybe looking for a performance coach? Yeah. Um. Wow, that's a great question. One I, I did I not think, prep her for, so this is totally <laughs> <awesome>. <laughs> Um, I think, and this is not always easy, there's a certain amount of being vulnerable, even with a person you don't know, um, and, you know, sharing what your challenges are or whatever you're experiencing that you want to work through or um, learn how to cope with or handle so that that person can say, yes, this is something I can help you with or let me refer you to so-and-so who might be able to help you through this a little bit better than me, which that's not really a question, but um, I guess just a piece of advice if you can open yourself up to, you know, allowing yourself to share those things, which isn't always easy, but um, will help us serve you better. And then um, always asking questions about availability and time, especially as a dancer um, and myself as a former professional dancer, I know how crazy schedules can be. So seeing if schedules do align um, and if they don't, you know, is there another provider who could give you the help that you need when you need it or when you can fit it into your schedule? Um, Gosh, so many other questions. How long have you been doing this? What experiences do you have? What is your training? Um, To be honest, I'd rather they ask 15 questions and have all the information that they need to make a decision rather than what you were saying earlier and just either either writing it off and saying no thanks right away or saying okay like I found someone like let's do it I don't really know I'll just try (laughs) yeah I know one thing for me on the because it goes both ways right it's good for you as someone who's seeking support to come in with questions but also Mm -hmm. I know I had to learn skills on how to help guide the person to help them come up with some answers if they didn't know. Right. That's part of my job as a coach. (laughs) So if you're like the coaches that helping me do like, like you can just tell, like trust again, goes back to the instinct, trust it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You can just tell. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. I know this was, I mean, like I said at the beginning, like we don't really come in with specific topics, but like I, this is not where at all where I anticipated this going, but actually <laughs> I absolutely love that we're having this conversation. It's just not yes. talked about. Mm-hmm. And I think that, yeah, I hope that we get, this gets in front of a lot of people that this can find, that they can find help in this process. Cause this applies to any service-based mm-hmm. process, not just your and I skill set. Right. Um, so many things, Lissa. So good. Okay. I don't, I mean, when we could talk forever, we need to wrap this up because like, it's always a goldmine to keep my podcast episodes under an hour, closer to sure. 45 minutes. So people actually yes. want to listen. Um, <laughs> so wrapping this up very abruptly, <laughs> um, what are some ways so people can continue this dialogue with you? What are some ways people can contact you, follow you? Where can they find you? Yeah. Um, I'll be honest, I tried TikTok and I'm still trying to do TikTok, but I really am not very good at keeping up with it. I am not super well versed in it and I don't (laughs) check it very often. So I would go with Instagram is probably the easiest way to find me. And that's at Performantality LLC, which maybe we can include in the description. Yeah, this will all be in the show notes. Perfect. And um, through there, you can either DM me, um, you can email me through there and you can also book a free consult um through there it's probably the easiest way to find me especially if you don't already have my email address yeah love that yeah that'll all be in the show notes as well it's so good um and also if you're like i don't know if i want to work with her but like just start following Alyssa because 
she has so much value to give for you just to apply in your everyday life, right? Like, just like me, like I try to offer value for everybody in my community, not just those who want to work with me and pay me money. Like mm-hmm. there's value for everybody, regardless of what stage you're in. And Alyssa yes. does the exact same thing. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Yes. Um, so final question Yes. for you, what does it mean to be the CEO of your life and business? You know what? It's full disclosure, you told me this would be a question. And I've been thinking about it for since I got the question from you. And it's something, you know, I, every time I think about it, I I sort of like change my answer a little bit and mm-hmm. think about something new. Um, and I guess for me, it's having the power um to make my own decisions and go in a direction that I want to go. And this kind of goes back to things we talked about earlier. Um, with, you know, people pleasing or fitting the specific image of being something that you either have decided you are, or you think other people have decided you are like a dancer or something along those lines and having the freedom to say, I want to go this direction. And so I'm going to, you know, um, and being the CEO to me is like, I get to make those decisions and I get to start them when I want to. I get to end them when I want to. I get to change the path when I want to. Um, All of those kinds of things. And that's not always easy to do, but having the knowledge that it is your own choice, um, I think can be really powerful for a lot of people, including myself. Thank you. So good. So deep. So good. (laughs) I want to keep talking to you about all these things, but we we have to wrap this up. Thank you so much, Alyssa, for being with us today. And thank you listeners for sticking it out with us. As always, would love to hear your thoughts. You can DM me as well as Alyssa. You can find me on Instagram. That's also where I live. Full disclosure, I have a TikTok. I think I literally used it for two weeks and I haven't checked it in something like a year. Um, So I have no idea what's happening in that world. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I'm on Instagram at the dance CEO coach. And again, all of these things can be found in the show notes. Thanks again for being with us, Alyssa. Thank you, Audrey. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Dance CEO Podcast, where aspiring or established dance business owners and entrepreneurs learn to become the CEO of your life and business. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review and rating. To stay up to date and get all the behind the scenes content, you can follow me, your host, on Instagram at the Dance CEO Coach. Until next time.